Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back, everybody, to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. And I am really excited today to be joined by Jake Miller, who is the founder and CEO of Engineered Innovation Group. Jake, uh, welcome. And just tell us a little bit more about the Engineered Innovation Group and what is it that makes you unique in the world? Yeah. Thank, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, the Engineered Innovation Group. So we are a agency. I like to call us an innovation agency, not a development group, even though we do development that helps VC-backed startups or companies coming out of corporate innovation labs uh, to build their, their product and even their organizations. So that's really what makes us unique is we like to call ourselves a software company without a product because our customers' product is our product. So we can provide UX, UI, product uh, management, project management, software engineering, quality assurance, go-to-market. Um, and our, our goal really is by time we're done with our customers, done with our customers, that they have a fully functioning software company, um, not just the product, but also the right roles filled, the right policies and procedures in place for them to be able to sell to enterprises if that's the case. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we do. And I love it. I love hearing that. And in meeting the people I've met from your team, I know Jenny and Chris are a few that I've come across and just the passion kind of oozes out of them. And so it's clear that you've created something special there. So talk a little bit about kind of your journey to to engineered and innovation group. You know, I know just looking at your history, you started as a software engineer. You're with, you know, a big name brand and in Salesforce for a couple of years in software engineering. And then you were founding CTO of another startup based here in Indianapolis. So like talk a little bit about your story, kind of how you arrived to to start um, what you're doing now. Yeah. So I remember I wanted to be an entrepreneur in fourth grade. And I had no idea what it really meant. I just knew I wanted to start companies and build things. Um, you know, I was that super nerdy kid that would take a, a briefcase into class. Maybe not exactly exactly that, but um, I definitely had that spirit early on. Really a creator. And when I got into high school, I started learning how to code and how networking, computer networking worked. And I just really loved that. And so I immersed myself into that. I started a, a little consultancy out of high school. You know, I had like two customers where I was writing code for them. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to turn this into a big business, but I had no idea how to run a business. So it flopped, started another software company. We didn't really understand how product worked. Uh, we worked on that for two years. It flopped. Um, although I think to this day, it is a, still a great product idea. So maybe we'll go back and, and uh, revisit that. <laughs> <second point>. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I studied English and linguistics at school and college here at IEPY in Indianapolis. And then I remember being terrified to go work and be a real software engineer because I didn't have for, like what I called formal training. Like I didn't I didn't study computer science. 
So I really felt imposter syndrome early on. I remember going to a interview and they asked me to, I was terrified to go to because I was like, oh my God, they're going to ask me crazy questions about algorithms and data structures. And I kind of know what I'm talking about, but not really. And they asked me to write SQL queries on the fly. And I completely failed it, even though I, I was able to do it. It was just all the anxiety there. So anyway, that's all to say, I had a really, um, not rocky start, because I was successful in those roles, but a very stressful start might actually be a better way to explain that. But from there, I gained my confidence, went to Exact Target, ended up, by the time I left there, was director of engineering for the marketing suite, uh, marketing automation suite of products. Uh, I was one of the first engineers on Journey Builder, which was a, a major product that we delivered. And ultimately, we were obviously purchased by Salesforce. From there, Scott Corkle invited me, uh, who was the former uh, CEO of Salesforce Marketing Cloud, called me up and I was like, why is Scott calling me? Uh, and it was, he wanted me to come work with him on MetaCX. And so I accepted the co-founder and CTO role there. And, you know, frankly, something I learned there was how hard it really is to go from a director role to a co-founder CTO role and the, the big jump. There's actually something I was telling someone the other day. There's a big jump from becoming a manager to a manager of managers. And then there's even bigger jump from going to manager of managers, like a director role or VP role up to, you know, the lead engineer in that company. So a whole lot of lessons that I'm happy to go into there if, if interested. Um, but I left after four years and said, I, I want to go do something different because I know as my role working with other startups and other CTOs and founders through high office specifically that there are the same mistakes being made over and over and over again. And I was like, oh my God, this is bonkers that we're, we're not able to like help learn those lessons. So I said, I'm going to start an innovation agency. What we're going to do is exactly what I said earlier. What prompted me to start the engineered innovation group was I said, I want to think big. Like if I could go do anything I wanted to do, what would it be? And because I took a break, a short break from, from MetaCX. And, uh, you know, I remember standing in the shower thinking, well, what would I name this company? I'm going to do some fractional CTO work and see where it goes from there. I'm going to hire maybe a couple people. And I was very concerned about saying group, engineered innovation group, because if I was a group of one, it's like, oh, you're, you're a group of one. Hey. Uh, and that was a real thing I, I thought about I was like, oh, going back and forth. And I chose group because it was like I'm putting a flag in the ground saying, I'm going to make this a team. We will make this a group. So six months in, we hired our first engineers. Um, now we're at 25 uh, employees, soon to be 30. Um, already beat our revenue target or our revenue from last year. So, so things are going well. But what I will say is something I think that has led to our success is while I was thinking of what to name the company, I was also thinking about how do I want to run this maybe differently than I've, I've seen things done in the past. The most important thing I've done so far in this company was sit down and be very clear about what my values were and what I wanted those, how I wanted those to apply to a company, which 
prior to that, I've, I, I was like a lot of other people. I was like a value schmalia, you know, like everyone has them. No one actually talks about them. And, you know, it's an HR thing that once a year we, we check box saying we read them. Uh, but we actually live them every day. And, you know, trust, I, kind of, I stole this one from, from Salesforce, but it's a number one value. Uh, it's not just, you know, are we building secure software? It's, are we collaborative? Do we, do we foster an environment where people uh, can explore their intellectual curiosities? How are we working with customers to make them successful? Uh, it's just, it encapsulates all of that because you can't have good relationships if you aren't, if you don't, if you don't trust each other, it just doesn't work. Um, the other core value that is, not very common is abundance. And, you know, I have a tendency to slip into the mindset of scarcity. And I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be that person. I want to deliberately think from abundant mindset because science shows when you think from a scarcity mindset, you're thinking from the lizard part of your brain, which is survival mode. And when you can think abundantly, you're really opening yourself up to have more creative ideas and be more effective and fluid. And so by having abundance, actually, you know, I got our company logo tattooed on my arm because I'm crazy. That's how much I believe in. And I think below that, I'm going to get the word abundance because it, I literally come back to it every single day uh, when I might, you know, I might be stressed out or I might like, oh my God, there's so much to do or like every entrepreneur in the world. Oh my God. like. We've got to get the sales pipeline back up because we we dropped below what the target was, and I wasn't paying attention to that. You know, there's all those things that we are universal to entrepreneurs, um, whether people want to admit that or not. Um, and you just have to remember abundance. So I'm happy to go through the other values, but also don't want to take the whole time explaining them. Yeah, I, I maybe if we. Gets a little bit of time at the end. I'd love to hear those because there there are a couple of questions I have around that. But I'm I'm curious because like we often hear that that's one of the questions we ask, or what are those core values that like you live by that the company lives by, and like how do you not make them like you said just the poster on the wall that we review once a year? But I'm I'm curious for you, like how do you how do you ensure that those are living? and breathing and like flowing out of you on, on a daily basis. Because like the reason I asked that question is because I think we've both seen those, those leaders, those entrepreneurs, those companies where like people started from that place and, and then it slowly kind of went off the rails and, you know, the train crashed and there, or the leader kind of crashed and burned. And so like, what is it for you that keeps those those values fresh and you know flowing out of you on a, on a daily basis? I love that question. The word that comes to mind for me is conviction. It is you as the leader. So so me as the leader of this company, I have to demonstrate that. Just like you're you're implying right now, I have to live it. People have to see it. Actually, one of the most important lessons I have learned being, you know, one of you know, the leader of an organization, a CTO, a CEO, is people dissect every word you say, literally. Because I, because I, you know, I, I used to take this. I'm going on a tangent here, but I used to take this perspective of, oh no, we're buddies. You know, I can talk to you the way I would anyone else. And while I want that to be true to an extent, 
any joke that might, you know, or, or, or off topic comment that might lead to, I don't know, stress or questioning. I mean, it can really throw things off for people. Um, I write a Friday note and, uh, you know, I, I know from feedback I've got from people that those words matter. So anyway, um, so I think like in being deliberate about what we say, about how we approach problems, about how we frame them for, for the team, uh, in conversations, daily. I make sure if there's something that comes up and it's about one of those core values, I'll cornerly say insatiably curious or yep, that's trust or thank you for being abundant mindset. You know, so like there are little things, but it really matters. We also have, um, so insatiably curious is one of our other values and we have a Slack channel. And those don't always work, but this one really does. It's, you know, I, I love reading academic papers as a pastime. I post those in there. People post articles. They post music that they like. I mean, it's just this mixed bag of things that people find curious and, and interesting. And that is another way to really drive that um, and, and help people remind remind people that that is something that we, we believe in. Uh, I will say the other thing that we do Actually, two things. One is part of our interview process. If people don't ask about the core values, that's a big red flag to us because in every single job posting, it says we are dead serious about these values. And so if people aren't bringing that up, it, you know, it's like, well, it was very clear that we we're very serious about this. So, um, it, it, it holds weight. The other thing is I'm not scared to offboard people that aren't living them. Um, like, uh, you know, just recently, again, being completely transparently here, we let someone go, not because they weren't super talented technically, not because they weren't, um, uh, you know, writing their documentation architecture diagrams, but because they weren't collaborative and it made the team uncomfortable and was shutting down communication. And that violates our, violates our uh, value of trust and there's no place for it. So, yeah. And a couple of things you said, like first that the team kind of rides and lit thrives off of like your every word. I, I, I don't believe that a lot of us realize the gravity what, that our words carry as well, you know, and then secondly, you, like the gravity of like what your actions carry, where it's, you don't, I mean, the cultures where you feel like, Oh, this, the CEO is kind of policing the core values. That's that's one thing. But what you're talking about is like, how are we as a leadership team ensuring that these core values are are not just a poster on the wall, but they they're living and breathing, and they're showing us where do where do we celebrate? But then also they're giving us kind of permission to confront as well, where it's like you're not being collaborative. This this is how I'm making that judgment call like A, B, and C. And kind of, we invite you to consider what it would look like to be collaborative in this environment. And I, I think that's almost as important as like the rah, rah, you know, like you lived out this, the value of insatiable curiosity. It's, you know, it's, it's almost just as important for people to see. We take these seriously and these kind of dictate how and when we, we confront when it doesn't happen because, and so I'm to respond to that because it's, it's an uncomfortable 
that's an uncomfortable conversation point, I think, for a lot of people of how do we confront when it when they're not being lived out. Yeah, I think actions speak louder than words. And as a leader, if we allow things to happen in our organization that don't align to our values and we do nothing about it, that erodes trust with the other employees. And to me, that's just not acceptable. I, you know, I think sometimes it, it is funny. Our team will sometimes say, we just can't let people think we're a cult, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just because we've created this environment where we all love working together. I avoid at all times saying we're family, you know, because I think there's there's danger in that zone too. But to say that we genuinely love working with each other and we learn a lot from each other, I think says a lot. But yes, coming back to my original point, actions speak louder than words. You can say all day long what your your core values are, but if you do not show and demonstrate, not just in writing, not just like a hashtag on, on something in Slack, but if you need to let someone go, or if you need to, um, you know, remind someone, or even like I'm also very transparent about I'm being I'm having a scarcity mindset right now. I'm I'm stressed out. Um, I need to take a minute and you know reflect and 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 get back in my space, demonstrating that it's okay to step away. Um, it's okay to take that space. It's okay to take your PTO for heaven's sakes. Everyone needs that time to you know, open their mind. Like, yeah, that's so good. Uh, I'm curious if you could take us back to just that point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not just going to put out a shingle and be, you know, a fractional CTO and, and just be an individual, you know, Jake Miller, like consulting group, you know, without the group, just because it's just you to like, I'm, I'm going to add, other people that I'm going to bring on this journey with me, because that's a, that's a big step. And I think there's a lot of people that I know that have similar talent to you of like, where you can make a really good living for yourself just by staying on your own. And then you also don't have to be responsible for all the things that we're talking about right now. It's, (laughs) yeah, it can be really, it can be really enticing for people just to be like, I'm, I'm my own boss and I, you know, I don't, I don't have anybody reporting to me. So, and like, what was it for you that said, like, I want to also build a team around this? For me, there are a couple things. So what made me want to build a team around this was, first of all, having people around, like, being not just a leader in a company, but a leader in the community showing or built creating jobs for people that I get a lot of joy out of, whether it's strange or not. I, I think building a place people want to be. And yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, the other reason might be a little bit of pride, if I'm not lying. Um, I think we all have things that drive us that are egocentric. Um, Absolutely. For, me, for me, that is one of them is, hey, look at what we're doing. And Mm-hmm. I'm, and then internally, I'm really fulfilling a dream that I've had for a long time and being successful at it. When I started, mm-hmm. though, you know, I, for like you were saying, there are other people that might say, you know, I don't really want to have direct reports. I'm just going to consult, which is great if, if people want to do that. Um, my scary point was, I was like, I've got three months of cash I'm willing to burn and we will see what happens. 
if if I burn it all, then I'll go back to what I was doing or I'll find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, turned out that was a very fruitful endeavor that allowed me to, to bootstrap and, and, and build out a team. But I think, frankly, if I'm being completely transparent, a lot of it just came from wanting to show the world, look what I got. <laughs> look what I can. Well, and I, I appreciate, you know, like we all have some of our egos are a little bit more culturally acceptable, I think, you know, um, where, but still like the ego is the ego and it's, it drives us toward a lot of this as well. I think what, what we've seen, you know, in hearing so many people's stories, like hundreds now through the podcast, it's like that self-awareness of the ego and, and also where it leads us astray in some cases too, is like, is very key for successful entrepreneurs. And so that, that said, starting a company is really hard and it tends to produce for people like you, this, it's almost like you're being dissected in front of a bunch of other people and they get to see the great parts of you, but also some, like you're, some of the challenging parts of you are exposed as well. And so I'm curious if you could tell like a story or an example of like, what's one of those challenging things that you've was hard to swallow that, you know, you had to learn through this process. I think some, actually the biggest lesson I have learned about myself is I am an incredibly sarcastic person. (laughs) I love (laughs) sarcasm. I love crude humor. (laughs) Like I just, I just think it's funny the problem is it doesn't always stick. Some people don't like sarcasm or it goes over their head. And I don't mean that because they're, you know, they're not intelligent people. It's just, it, you know, time and place, you know, is it appropriate for me to make that sort of joke? And it's nothing crude or bad. It's just like, um, and I can't think of a good, good example of something I said, but I do, do know in prior roles, that was a handicap for me. It was, it was definitely something that made me, um, it, it, it hurts one's reputation, even. Um, it erodes your authority, if, if you will. And that was, that was hard, really hard for me. I think the other one is I am, was, I've, I've really tempered this, maybe it's coming with age, <laughs> but is a temper. I, my spouse, has told me this on several occasions. Jake, you do not work well with C players. And it's true. I cannot handle not having people on their game. <laughs> I just, and that used to be like, would send me into rage, frankly, just like, what the heck are you doing? Like, why, why, why do you not get it? And uh, that's not fair. First of all, it's not professional. Second of all, um, and that's a me problem, not a them problem, you know? And so coming to this company uh, specifically, I wanted to build an environment of one, inclusiveness, but two, of growth. So rather than looking at people's flaws and what makes them, you know, not the best version, let's look at the things that make them what their, their positive attributes, what are their strengths, and then amplify that, which is part of abundance, right? And that 
that has not only been great for our organization and our team, but it's been great for me personally because it's helped me grow emotionally um, in my EQ and and, and those, those things. That's awesome. I, is there a tool that has been helpful that you, you and the team have used to help guide some of that? Like I think of Strengths Finder, but have you used that or or something else? I am a believer that every person should have a therapist. <laughs> so for, agreed. Yeah, it was very much reflection and and working through you know my own challenges and in, in my life from the past. Um, you know, I, it, it's being able to know yourself on that level with someone that can reflect a professional that can reflect back or help you work through those challenges is mm-hmm. invaluable. Um, and I, you know, recommend it to everyone. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. And I was actually talking to one of my kids about this. Um, he, he has some medical issues that his, his friends don't have. And like we found out, Oh, there's, there's a, a resource available to him of a professional at through his school that he could, he could get, you know, be in touch with. And he's just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk to them. And I basically said, you know, I have, I have a therapist. I call them, call him my feelings doctor. Yeah. And, you know, he, it's not every week, but he's available, you know, when I need, and it's, it's sometimes every week when it's in a particularly poignant or challenging season. And I think you leading with example by example in that way is, is really important. And so like, as you've tried to like, like you said, amplify the strengths of your team, um, and like what, what tools have you used with your team to, to amplify those strengths? And like, are you using like predictive index or strengths finders with your team, or is it something else? Yeah. In in terms of tools, so we haven't been using any formal tools. We don't do like personality, you know, those those tests. I can't remember the names of them. Um, yet we just have been too small and moving too fast. And we we now have the right people in place that can help us get a little bit more formal about that. But what we have been doing is when we think about resources, when we think about projects people are going to work on, or you know, maybe there are gaps in our company knowledge. Um, like in the past, we had a lot of mostly junior people. We didn't have senior people as an example. Um, and uh, what we do is just make sure that we're we're thinking about not only what are their skill sets, their hard skill sets, but what are their soft skills and what are they good at. So. We're putting people in an environment to be sex, to be successful versus setting them up for failure. And that's a very deliberate thing you have to do. It's very, you know, you know I, I say that and it's like, well, no, well, of course you would do that. But it's not, I don't think it's that obvious until you state it. And uh, that's been wildly successful for us. Yeah. Is, is there a format? Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, like, when I hear that, I know one of our, our, our clients and friends, you know, we've partnered with them on some things, uh, blind zebra led by, um, Brian and Stephanie Neal. Um, and they have what I understand from what they do. And I, that I think Brian said at one point they stole this maybe from Twitter, um, or somebody else, but it was, they, they have a red light, yellow light, green light. 
and they do a quarterly review with people where, and they look at that, you know, the stoplight in three different areas. It's, you know, company fit. And so it's like, is, is this, and it's reflect, you know, it's a 360 piece. Like does the person and does the manager believe like they're a green light on company fit in terms of like cultural values, et cetera, like we talked about earlier. The second is role fit. And it's like, is this, am I the right person for the role um, that's needed by the company at this time? And then the third is like, I'd call it stage of life fit. And it's, it's both, you know, for where the company is in terms of stage of life, you know, for you being just a couple years old, it takes a certain person to deal with the chaos of, you know, of where the company is at right now in rapid growth mode. Um, but then also there's sometimes people are, you know, like I know somebody that's about to have their fourth child and, you know, them like being a leader at a startup, you know, may not be like the best for their stage of life right now. Um, but so I'm, is like, do you use tools like, or check-ins like that with folks? Yeah, we are, we are currently working on what that will look like formally, but I will say with our leadership team, we've used the V2 mom. So it's, it's more, that's more for organizational alignment and make to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're all on the same page, but we've also, as a leadership team have used the four box exercise for performance on one axis and then potential on the other. And, and that way it would help us understand who are our rock stars we need to promote. Who are the people that need training or maybe different opportunities so they can build out a skill? Um, and then who are the, the folks that maybe don't belong here right now for the reasons that you've said said there, which I, I think I might might suggest to the team that we adopt that framework, the red, red, yellow, green. It's, it's, it's brilliant. But those are the tools we've or, or frameworks, I guess, that we've really used. Yeah, I I heard once that every good framework has the four boxes, so you're yeah. you're on the right track there. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been reading uh, Radical Candor by Kim yeah. Scott recently, and that those four boxes and listening to that every time, I'm like, it just it hits me hard, you know, because it's you know how do I make that move from. For me, it's ruinous empathy. How do I make that move toward radical candor? Um, Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, but um, there's another thing I've struggled with too, and that is, and this has been my whole career. I've gotten a lot better at it the past couple years. But you said ruinous empathy. I tend to think, well, everyone can do it. Of course they can do it. Well, they have that skill gap now, but we just need to back them up with the right resources and tools and they'll be able to get there. But the problem with that is one, maybe they don't actually have the aptitude. Um, and, and two, like, do you have the time and the resources to do that for mm-hmm. an individual? And so I do, as much as I hate to say it, think that is a uh, flawed way of uh, hiring. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very careful about comparing folks potential um to the way i i perceive my own potential 
works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. One of the questions I like to finish on as we wrap up and near the end of the show is how do you recharge? And another way to ask this is you as an entrepreneur need to stay refreshed in creativity and like the vision that you have to always be on, you know, on the frontier strategy, having vision, like casting that in a sustainable way to your team. And so like, what is it for you that helps you to stay refreshed and and creative and in that vision? Yeah, I have learned to actually take time off. There's a concept that's that's applicable here. It's an analogous uh, learning. But the Balmer curve in in coding is typically where this was applied. And it's you get diminishing returns, right? As you're working on something. And um, I actually also believe there was like, you could have a certain number of drinks before you have a problem too, before you start. (laughs) So maybe it's not the best analogy. But um, that's also something I learned when I was a coder was if I was struggling with a problem early on in my career, I would just sit at that keyboard 24 seven until I solved that problem. And as I became more a mature programmer, I realized if I step away, come back to it the next morning or in a couple hours, I would solve it immediately. And I think that is also a universal truth for developers. And so I applied that to my life. And, and actually, this was something that I, when I started the company, said, I never again will work 80-hour weeks. Not doing it. Like, just won't. And so I take weekends. I'll work every once in a while on a weekend. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm d- disengaged uh, from work. And I also block my calendar out on Friday. So sometimes I'll have some meetings in the morning. But most of the time, I try and block that out for just thinking time. So you can get into you know, the psychological flow, which is a proven important way to, to be creative. So that, those are some of my skill sets or, or some of the ways that I manage that. And we take four vacations a year and completely disconnect um, with the family. Uh, with with my family, my my husband and my son, and that is super important. Mm. You don't hear that too often. I think I hear of a lot of CEOs in your seat that are always always on, you know, always working. Part of that is, I think, being a business owner. So, in in some cases, it's ethically irresponsible, uh, you know, to take take your hand off the wheel in a way. But I think in a lot of cases, it's just a difficulty of of letting go because, you know, for whatever reason that is like, again, usually flowing from the ego. And so what is it for you that's allowed you to, to really let go in those ways and like, go on those four vacations and, you know, disconnect? I see it as a failure if I've not built a team that can run without me. So yes, I'm needed. I am at the helm. I am the leader. The buck stops with me. So I don't, it's not like I don't believe that, but it's also, I can't be in a state of constant pressure of scarcity uh, when I can't clear my head. That's not good for the company. And I've, I know from experience that when I've worked that way, I've not been as at my best self. So, so yes, I truly believe if you build the right team, things can move forward without you. Um, it's just an expectation of mine. Um, and th- the second one is also going back to the lead by example. 
you know, measured creativity is one of our other values. And that applies not only to deliverables and getting stuff done, you'll ultimately have to deliver, but also, you know, uh, maybe it's not a a one-to-one fit, but the, the concept is the same being able to, to, to separate, take time. Uh, it's important. And I want people to spend time with their families. You know, we do, we have 14 paid company holidays. Who does that, <laughs> you know? And for us, that is important because I, we close the office between uh, Christmas and New Year's. I want people spending time with their families. We are better, in my opinion, we become better people when we can connect with people that we we love and uh, are outside of our day-to-day work. That took a lot of like reflection and maturity to get to that point. Thank you to my therapist. <laughs> yeah, my my therapist actually showed me like that diagram that you're talking about of the the law of diminishing returns and and just like I I just remember the graph where it's like okay, you get to this point and it's like you need to stop at peak and not not keep going because like you keeping going beyond that point is like your work is actually crap and you become you know you become the person that you don't want to be you know the the person that's not that that has a short fuse that you know isn't emotionally present at home like those types of things but i think the the myth in, I mean, it's, it's all over the place, but especially in entrepreneurial organizations, I think it's just like, it's almost this badge of honor and it's like expected of you have to, in order to, for your company to make it, you have to do the 80 to hundred hours and work on the weekends and, you know, just live and breathe business. And I, I, I don't believe that that's the formula. I mean, it might be in certain seasons, but like, I don't, my under, my understanding of the human body and psyche is that like nobody's meant to sustain that, you know, for a long period of time without doing lasting damage on themselves and other people. And so, I mean, physiologically, your cortisol levels, you only have so, so much you can take before you have that short fuse, before you start, um, you know, breaking down, so to speak. I mean, there's a lot of science that backs that up. And you're like the goal to keep your cortisol as low as possible throughout the yeah. day. I, lo- I lo- love to end there just because um, with about Savage to Sage, one of the things that we're really trying to shift our focus on, it's it's been true since the beginning, but it's like this idea of people f- finishing well. And so it's like every, most every entrepreneur like has great stories of how they started well and like, the savage days of like getting something going off the ground, you know, surviving those initial, you know, challenges, economic downturn, et cetera. But like what, who are the the entrepreneurs that like are finishing well and, and that are leaving their company in good hands and, you know, have treated their bodies with care and honored their limits as humans, you know, uh, and not created collateral damage in, in the process. And so, those are the stories that we really want to hear. And so I appreciate um, hearing your story and like how you're motivated to live that way and um, look forward to catching up also in a few years to, you know, see how it's going uh, after, you know, you've been at it for two years now. So that's, 
That's awesome. Thank you for your time today and everything you share. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation. It was fun. Yeah. If, if people want to get in touch with you and your company, where would you point them? I would point them to LinkedIn, actually, Engineered Innovation Group or www.engineeredinnovationgroup.com. Cool. Thanks so much, Jake, for your time today. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.